Hi, and welcome back to another episode of NFL Game Time Podcast. With your hosts, I'm Alex Rubinson. And I'm Shai Dweck. So, we're kind of in that weird spot between the championship and the the two championship games and the Super Bowl. Obviously, a two-week layoff in between those games. This podcast, we're going to be recapping the AFC and NFC championship games, but really, we're going to be centering our focus on the NF on the new NFL head coaches, new NFL general managers, and also talk about the remaining vacancies. And at the end, we're also going to kind of just talk about Tom Brady, talk about his retirement, and how really weird the game will be starting next year without him on the field. So, Shy, a lot to talk about. Let's get right into it because it's game time. So, Shy, let's start with the two championship games, AFC, NFC. Obviously, we're quite a few days now removed from those games. But what are some of your final thoughts about really all four of those teams and how those games played out? I think we were treated to a phenomenal postseason, Alex. Um, And I'm expecting... Why are you saying it? Like, it's past tense. We still have the Super Bowl. That's true. We have been treated uh, to a phenomenal postseason. And I think we got to see a really beautiful contrast of a nice, gritty division matchup. The matchup that wasn't always pretty uh, with, with, with the Rams and the Niners going at it. And then a really explosive, high-powered offenses going up each other, against each other in the AFC and the Bengals of Joe Burrow, and um, the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes, two of the best quarterbacks, you know, best young quarterbacks in the league in that conference, who will have, I'm sure, a lot more games against each other. And I think it could be the start of a potential uh, rivalry where Burrow's gotten the best of both. Two, well, he's 2-0 so against Mahomes. Not many people can say that, especially when they played... Well, really, less than a year and a half of football that carrying Burrow's injury last season. Right, and and I think we'll kind of get more into these teams, uh, the, the teams that won on next week's podcast when we talk about the Super Bowl. But I just think about the Bengals have so many concerns in terms of the defense is overperforming. Can they keep it up? They have, in my mind, a subpar, one of the probably bottom five to seven offensive lines in football. And yet they're beating the Chiefs, and you know, they're beating the Titans, and they're beating good football teams, and find themselves in the playoffs or in the playoffs in the Super Bowl in Burrow's really first full season, as you mentioned with his ACL injury. Imagine what this team will be like when they have an average offensive line, when they have more talent in the secondary, and when Burrow's has that second year off the ACL injury. This Bengals team, knowing that they're in this place already, in the Super Bowl, this early in their winning process and kind of building up process, it really is scary to think about what they can be because there are areas where this team can get better at, and they're pretty clear. And I think they've shown that they're doing a better job of roster construction. So I think as soon as this offseason, we could see this team, at least from a talent perspective, get better. I think you're absolutely right. And I think when you look at the Cincinnati Bengals, I just think about why I love postseason football. Because anything can happen. If we look at this team, and, you know, yes, they have a lot of great weapons around Joe Burrow. That's important. 
But I think you and I and really any NFL, you know, analyst will agree that receivers, at the end of the day, they don't win games for you. And they help, but they don't win games for you. What the Bengals have is a great quarterback, a great young quarterback. And the surrounding pieces, yeah, they're here and there. But anything can happen when you get into that. Well, the, the surrounding pieces, are you referring to those receivers? Because they do have one of the best receiving trios in the NFL. Just outside of that is where they're I'm lacking. referring to th- those receivers, but you talk about the offensive line, everything on the defense. And, yeah, I guess their special teams has been pretty good. Um, and McPherson's done a nice job, really nice job for them as a rookie this season. But What's impressive, and I think is kind of what you're getting at, is even in – Tom Brady's first Super Bowl run. He was kind of a game manager that was that came up clutch in big moments. With Joe Burrow, it's almost like he's putting this team on his back less than two full years into his career. But the, I think the beauty of Joe Burrow is it almost doesn't feel like he's putting his team on his back. It feels like that team is... We keep saying, I almost feel like we should stop saying they're overperforming because they're performing how they're performing. And there's a reason. So I think so. I mean, we need to stop valuing these players so, you know, ob- objectively. You know, this player is this good, this player is that good. Because any given Sunday, that's what football is all about. And if you're playing like this, you kind of have to have it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it mentality. And I think it starts at the top. It starts with Zach Taylor. It starts with Joe Burrow. And I think that leadership and that sense of we're young, we're hungry, we can do this. You know, even if we're not the most experienced, even if we're not, you know, the best team, we can still topple these giants like the Kansas City Chiefs, like the Tennessee Titans. We'll get into plenty more Bengals talk next week. I do want to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs because that's, that's a team yes. that – we won't be talking about for the rest of the right or playoffs and regular season. I think we have to start with the end of the first half, where Bengals, they go down, they score a touchdown, they cut it to a much more manageable deficit, 21, you know, 21 to 3, 21 to 10. I know it's only one touchdown, but that just, in my mind, makes all the difference. You know, 11 points seems a lot more manageable than 18. So the Chiefs are driving, and it looks like they'll be able to almost cancel out that touchdown with a touchdown of their own or at least a field goal. And we all know what happens, that they decide to, you know, nine seconds, it's an incomplete pass. They decide to run an extra play with five seconds. Mahomes, instead of throwing it out of bounds or throwing it where it's a kind of going to be an incompletion where you can still have a second or two left on the clock, he throws it inbounds. Tyreek Hill is tackled inbounds. They obviously didn't have another timeout. It didn't matter that the play or the game clock had already expired. Kind of what were your initial thoughts? Because that's just terrible field awareness by Mahomes, clock management by Andy Reid. And I know you love it. or not. I shouldn't say you. I know one sometimes loves it when the quarterback says, you know, give me the ball or give me, like, I got this. And that's kind of what Mahomes did. And we love it when it works out. Here it didn't. And I think this was in, with the Bengals maybe getting some momentum with that touchdown to Smart J.P. Ryan. I think it, Andy Reid needed to take charge and say, look, I believe in you, but we're in a good spot right now. We just need to get points. And he should have kind of taken, taken the offense on the field, taken that decision out of Mahomes' hands, 
sent the special teams unit out, sent Bucker out, taking the surefire points and going and going to halftime with at least some getting some of that momentum back. My take on it is it just seems to me like an issue of, of confidence, of overconfidence for Kansas City. And I get it. You have a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes. You think he can do anything. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you're right. It's This is football, and there's a reason that you take the points. Um, not only because of momentum, but because... There's a reason why Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback and not the head coach. Right. And you have to remember, there's a team playing across from you that wants it just as badly as you do. And I think sometimes a mistake that some of these teams make, and sometimes the Chiefs make, is it, it's, it's, not, it's, it's a kind of overconfidence mixed with you just expect things to go your way. You expect to be better than they are. And I think that works in your favor sometimes. Well, because I think it's, it's, almost, it's worked so many times in the past. It's like a tunnel vision. It's worked so many times in the past that they think w- that they have embraced this cockiness about them that we've done it once, we can do it again. Because if that's any other team, we're like, what is... What is, what is like, we're thinking, talk- what are they doing before the place even run? Exactly. And I'm not... I probably, even with them, we're thinking, eh, they should be kicking the field goal. But there was, I feel like, a little part in all of us that said, can you really blame them? Now, obviously, hind, you know, hindsight 2020, it's terrible. Obviously, the game goes into overtime, so you could say that it kind of was a huge turning point in costing the game. But at that time, if it works, they probably win the game, and no one's talking about it. Exactly. And no one's blaming them or saying, what were they doing? It's greedy. It, it, and it's, and again, there's that, with almost any other team, we're seeing what are they doing. With the Chiefs, it's like, I wouldn't do this, but they're like there is a but with the Kansas City Chiefs that I think isn't there with the other thirty-one. I I agree with you. It's a little bit it's a little bit greedy. It's a little bit disrespectful to the Bengals, in my opinion. But I think if you make the decision, Andy Reid, to do that, okay. Like I don't necessarily agree with it, but there's okay. You make the decision, but you have to be prepared to live with the consequences. You made the bed. If you don't get points for the half, that's the decision you already made. You you have five seconds left. You forfeited that opportunity to get those three points, in my mind, by just running the play. And I and do you have to be prepared for there that. Was some, there was, looking back on the play, it did look like Travis Kelsey had some inside leverage where if Mahomes gets the ball out right on time and quick, that that's potentially either a touchdown or maybe, maybe it's incomplete and you have a second left to kick a field goal. So I definitely think also Mahomes, in my mind, didn't make the right read on that play. I think I, I'm not saying I'm not trying to make up for it or, you know, take some of the blame away from the decision. But I do think something that I haven't seen as much is it did look like maybe there's an opportunity to get the ball a little quicker, potentially get a touch on a Kelsey, if not leave a second on the clock. I do want to move to overtime. Because everyone was talking about, oh, whoever wins the toss automatically wins the game. That didn't happen. And Shai, I don't know about you, but with the way the game was uh, going into overtime, with the way the game's kind of transitioning into the overtime period, I didn't have that feeling that whoever wins the toss wins the game. Did you? Not going to lie, I did have that feeling. 
Um, we've just seen it so many times recently, and and I understand when the lights shine brightest. I mean, you have to put your faith in Patrick Mahomes. And I'm not saying I thought like he's definitely not doing it, but I just had like when the Chiefs Bills game, I thought whoever because of how that game was transforming before our eyes with each team, each offense had all the momentum. With the way the regular regulation had ended, with the Chiefs having first and goal, and then Mahomes almost fumbling it away. I had this feeling with the offenses not being as on point and high powered as they were heading into that overtime as they were the week before, I just didn't have this feeling that whoever wins the toss will win the game. And even with with the Chiefs and Mahomes winning the toss, I still have this feeling like, you know what, this is not going to be a gimme. And at this point, I might even lean towards Cincy. Wow. I just didn't have that feeling that I did the week prior because that Chiefs offense. It was it was in that funk it was when they started three and four in the second half. They look like the three in that second half, they look like the three and four Chiefs, not the team that lost uh one game for the rest of the season. And I think you have to credit the Cincinnati defense for that more than you have to credit the inconsistency of the Casey offense. I mean, that pass rush got after Patrick Mahomes and Mahomes can be a magician out of the pocket, but he was trying to do too much. He tried. That's right. But like the relentless pressure. I mean, Sam Hubbard was a monster, had a phenomenal game. Hendrickson was B- everywhere. BJ well. Hill, where I, that was probably one of the more, it wasn't really an off season addition. Cause it was like the week before it was after preseason had ended, but that trade with the giants has been unbelievable for Cincinnati. Yeah. I, I even agree. I just I think that Cincinnati rose to the occasion, and at and at, at the end of the game, they were the more physical team. They dominated or were did enough, made enough plays in the trenches to win this game. And I think ultimately, Kansas City they couldn't coast at the end when they wanted to. So, I could be wrong on this, and I might have to double-check myself after this, but you know who I think is the oldest player in the NFL right now? With Tom Brady retiring. Tom Brady's. Who? I think it's Andrew Whitworth. Andrew Whitworth, the long-time Cincinnati Bengal, was with them his entire career through all those playoff you know, appearances and then defeats, was always a steady left tackle for them, one of the best players on the Bengals, signs Landis' career with who else? But the Los Angeles Rams. And a lot of people think this is going to be it for Whitworth, that this is going to be his last game. And what better way than an opportunity to win the Super Bowl against your longtime team? I just thought it was really interesting how really a way to tie both these teams together and what really feels almost like a random and odd Super Bowl matchup. Yeah, I mean it, it I mean I'm so excited for the Super Bowl mainly because it's it's two teams that I I guess the Rams had Super Bowl expectations like that was clearly the goal. When you and speaking with but, well when you trade for Matthew Stafford who by the way the one year anniversary of the trade for Matthew Stafford was Sunday, the day they beat the Niners and advanced to the Super Bowl. So it really is crazy how these things come together i do think though they weren't the favorites coming in with the bucks with the packers 
But I definitely think when you spend the money that they have, spend the draft capital that they have, I mean, they haven't had a first-round pick since 2016, and I don't think, and I think their next first-round pick is 2024. When you give up those assets, you hate to throw this term around, but I feel like it kind of is Super Bowl robust for the for the Rams and has been even before they made even kind of before they made this run to the Super Bowl. I think that's right, um, but again, as you said, they weren't the favorite. Cincinnati certainly was not. I think a favorite going into this, and really both teams had some great games, great upsets, and the I'm Ram- really excited. And I'll just say the Rams really showed me that. They did not play their best football. It was an ugly game. It was a tough physical game at times, and they still found a way to win. I think that type of performance it could go a long way to seeing can they finish off and, and finally win that last game of the season. Well, I think if, they, if the Rams make that game ugly in the Super Bowl, they've got the better shot to win than, than Cincinnati. And I think that could play into a strategy for Sean McVay. Obviously... We'll get into that. We'll talk next about that more week. N- next week in terms of Super Bowl preview. Who we pick? It's gonna be a tough game to pick. It's definitely gonna be absolutely. It's going I think it's gonna be another really good game. And uh, kind of since that wild card round, the playoffs have uh, have spoiled us. They they have spoiled us, and I'm I'm ready to be spoiled uh, one one last time in uh, 2022. <laughs> Want to get a little extra greedy with one more great playoff? In this case, Super Bowl matchup. So, Shai, let's turn our attention now. Obviously, the Super Bowl getting a lot of the headlines, and deservedly so. But we have new head coaches and new general managers. Yes, we do. In the NFL. And some teams are still looking for their new head coach and even general manager. And, you know, Pittsburgh Steelers, obviously, they have a GM, but they'll be replacing Kevin Colbert soon, who will be pretty much retiring after the draft. That's right. So... Shy, let's start with, we're going to go kind of team by team in terms of who had a head coaching and GM vacancy. And Shy, let's start with maybe some of the teams that had both a GM and head coaching vacancy that made changes at both those positions, starting with the Chicago Bears. Now, the Bears fired Ryan Pace, their general manager, and Matt Nagy, their head coach, at the end of the 2021-22 regular season. And to replace those guys, they hired Ryan Poles, an executive, a high-level executive from the Kansas City Chiefs, who big part in Kansas City's drafting, especially some of the remodeling of the offensive line that has gotten rave reviews this past season. And at the head coach, a hire that I think we are both really high on, especially uh, in relation to the consensus, is Matt Eberflus. Their new head coach, he was the defensive coordinator in the Indianapolis Colts, got great performances out of guys like Darius Leonard, uh, DeForest Buckner, and really made that such a sound, fundam- you know, good, fundamentally sound unit. Obviously, a head coach brings a lot more responsibilities than being a coordinator, but in my mind, I do think Ibrahim is ready. What are kind of your thoughts on these two? And I don't want to, we're, we're not going to do rankings who had the best GM hire, who had the worst. But I guess, kind of, what where are you feeling maybe with these hires compared to some of the other ones? But you say we're not going to do rankings, but I will throw out there, like I said, I think, I'm not going to rank any of the other ones, but I do think this is my favorite pairing um, out of them. I think, um, I think Ryan Pohl is, you know, coming from a first-class organization in Kansas City, an organization that I think 
they don't you don't need to build a phenomenal roster with you know guys like Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. So I think I can understand why there could be some hesitancy there versus a guy you know like Zegler or, or or Shane who we'll talk about later. But I still think coming from that organization and and being able to put some of those pieces together, especially you know defensively. And, you know, getting that offensive so line in order this offseason. For Justin Fields, where you know, Tevin Jenkins was kind of injured and struggled. So he's still a mystery. But this offensive line really struggled and definitely needs a makeover. And we've seen from Mahomes what a, a revamped offensive line can kind of revamp the quarterback. They're hoping that Chicago can do something similar with Justin Fields. Right, and Poles had experience with that. And I think you look at Ibrahim as well, coming from a, 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 another good organization a very good the thing for me when it's tough to say this is a good head coach this is a good GM especially when they've never done it before mm-hmm. for me when I'm evaluating this I want certain guys from certain organizations there are organizations especially when there has been a lack of stability and continuity which is a lot of these teams and a big reason why they are making changes at these leadership roles not all of them like we'll get to the Saints later but you look at the Bears, they do need more stability, more continuity. And you look at organizations, not and I say organizations, not teams, because in my mind it goes much beyond just on-field performance. You look at organizations like the Kansas City Chiefs and what they've accomplished, and even the Indianapolis Colts and just how well-run they are. Those are the type of organizations and franchises that if you're a Bears fan, if you're a Giants fan, yeah, I know they didn't have a vacancy, but if you're a Jets fan, those are the type of organizations you kind of want to pluck from. So I really like this idea of, hey, let's get a young, bright, up-and-coming mind with Ryan Post, who's only 36 years old. He, I mean, He's a GM. I remember when it was a surprise when head coaches were getting hired at 36. Now GMs are getting hired at 36. So, but, you know, Ryan Post from the Kansas City Chiefs, an organization that, yes, they... You know, I love what they did with Mahomes in terms of just development because he was a raw prospect, and they helped to maximize his skill set and maximize his strengths. You look at how they built that offensive line. So I really like what the Chiefs have done, and obviously you know I'm a huge fan of what how the Colts have developed talent, how they've drafted, and I know that's maybe more on the front office than the head coach, but it always seems like, from especially at coaching level, the Colts are just a well-run organization that play the game the right way and are just so fundamentally sound. A criticism that some others have brought up, which I know we're not, we don't really care too much about is, well, Matt Eberflus is a defensive coordinator. And you're trying to develop a young quarterback. My view is, that's the offensive coordinator's job. You're worried about offensive scheme, offensive X's and O's, yeah, you know, maybe you do want your head coach to have some say in your quarterback's development, but Matt Eberflus's job isn't to maximize the offense. Matt Eberflus's job is to maximize the entire organization, the entire team. That's why it's called the head coach. So this whole idea, it's like, oh, well, he's not an offensive coordinator. This is an average hire. I don't see it like that. I want a guy who's going to be hold people accountable. He's going to be able to lead. He's going to maximize everyone, not just a certain side of the ball. 
be able to you build relationships and and as I said, kind of get the most out of players, but also get the most out of his coaches and be a good teacher on all three phases. I think Matt Eberflus has the potential to do that. I think he does, He from his time in Indianapolis and seeing a guy like Frank Wright, I think there is a level of stability that a guy like Matt Eberflus can bring to the Chicago Bears. I, I completely agree. Um, look, you need a leader, and I think that's what Matt Eberflus is going to give you. And you want to, yeah, developing a young quarterback is important. But you said it. They they got to get someone who gets that culture back and develop a sense of pride in that football team. And I think there aren't many better hires than Matt Eberflus for that for that job. And they hired Luke Getze, who was, as their offensive coordinator, who's the Packers quarterback's coach. And obviously a lot of, you could say, well, that was just Aaron Rodgers, but... You know, you look at Rodgers' back-to-back MVPs now under Getsy, so you really have to look what you know. Get Luke Getsy has done in, in Green Bay comes to Chicago going inter in in the interdivisional here. Yes, yeah. So I think this whole idea is he's not an offensive guru. He's not an offensive corner. Get me the best leader. Get me the guy who's gonna build relationships, hold people accountable, and you know, have good situational awareness and be able to get the best out of the entire team not just one side of the ball. That's what I want in my head coach. Offense, defense, special teams. I don't care. If they're a leader and they can, again, maximize talent regardless of position and they hold people accountable and bring that level of continuity and stability, if they can do those things, those things in my mind are more important than what's their offensive scheme, what's their defensive X's and O's. A lot of great corners out there. Not a lot of great head coaches. So, Shy, let's now go to the Patriot Way, going to Las Vegas. Dave Ziegler, who was kind of the de facto GM in New England, although Bill Belichick kind of called the final shots. He's now going to be calling the final shot Ziegler in Las Vegas, being the new Las Vegas Raiders general manager, and he's bringing along a familiar face. Josh McDaniels didn't quite go his way his first time being a head coach in Denver. Now it's his second opportunity. Same division in the AFC West. He's now the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. Ziegler, McDaniels, kind of what are your thoughts on the Raiders trying to get catch that that Patriots insight and try to, I don't know, become almost a West Coast Patriots team? I, I'm not... I really, it's really hard for me to analyze this. I don't really know how to feel. I don't love it, but I don't hate it. Um, I think Ziegler probably a better hire than McDaniel's. Um, I think anytime you hire again from an organization like the New England Patriots, someone you know, two guys that really have been more or less taking the orders from Bill Belichick, um, whether it's you know running by those final decisions by him. If you're Ziegler, you know, making if you're probably doing that scouting and listening to Belichick and what he likes from players. And we know we always talk about, you know, the one thing that concerns me, we always we always talk about the Patriots, oh, they don't have the best drafts, but they always develop players really well. They pick up guys off the streets and they turn them into starters. That's a that's Bill Belichick. That's not 
that's not Ziegler. So that would be my one kind of concern, kind of caveat. But I think any time you're hiring from that organization, especially when, in my opinion, there's not a plethora of better options out there, I think this is a, a very solid hire at GM for the Raiders. Now, Alex, I just want to ask you, with McDaniels, someone who's had a lot of, quite a few hires over the past half decade, or, or not hires, a lot of interviews um, the past half decade or so, a lot of enticing jobs that he we thought he was going to take, and then he didn't. And obviously, with Ziegler going, it makes more sense why he'd want to follow, but does, is, is that really the reason you think? Is, is, is that kind of the why now in your mind for, for Josh McDaniels? Well, I think he failed in Denver. He was not the right head coach in Denver. And I think you know, he realized that he's learned from everything you hear. He's matured tremendously. He was trying to be Bill Belichick in Denver. And we know, especially with Bill Belichick assistance, you try to be Bill Belichick somewhere else, it's destined to fail from the get-go. And I think that's what happened with the Denver Broncos. You ask, you know, why didn't he take certain jobs in the past? Why now? Very rarely an, an offensive or defensive coordinator, special teams coordinator, position coach, very rarely does someone get three head coaching opportunities. It's almost unheard of for someone to have failed two places and get a third attempt. Well, he's already failed once. So that almost means uh, you have one more chance. And I think there were, I think, options that were definitely enticing to him. But I think this also plays into his maturity that he wasn't going to jump at the first offer just for the sake of he can be a head coach again. He was waiting for an offer or a job that made sense for him, that gave him the best opportunity to potentially succeed, at least in his eyes. And I think going with a familiar face, going to Las Vegas with Dave Ziegler, I definitely think plays a big part in that. He knows, again, Ziegler and McDaniels, chances are, because they're both going to Vegas, they already have a a positive working relationship in place. I think some of that will help in terms of Ziegler knows the type of players Josh McDaniels likes. So that may make drafting easier and being able to crack the team in their eyes. And we've we've heard it from all these GM, new GMs that that relationship between the head coach and GM needs to be in lockstep and is so crucial to having the best possible roster and constructing the best possible roster. And I think that already relationship between Ziegler and McDaniel has already gives them a leg up in terms of, you know, the type of players I like. I know how your draft. I know how your draft philosophies are. How you make evaluations. I they know each other's tendencies, and I think that was really appealing to McDaniel's. And I think that comfort level again. I kind of I think gives him a leg up, and McDaniel says, "Okay, I feel comfortable, and I I feel like working with a guy I know really well. This is a place where I potentially can succeed because he knows if this doesn't work out in Vegas, he's probably not. He might be able to be." go back to being an offensive coordinator in New England or somewhere else and be successful, but he might not never get that third head coaching opportunity that I think he want he wants to be a head coach and I think he knows this is it. And I think he thought with again that familiar face, this is a this is a comfortable place where I feel like I could succeed. Uh maybe not immediately, 
But give it a few years, this is a place where I think with Ziegler, I can build a, I can build a competitive football team. We can build a competitive football team together that we can be proud of and, and can be and can have sustained success. Yeah, I mean I I'm really interested to see what kind of an offense he chooses to run, you know, with Derek Carr. I also and, say that I know he only has one more year left on his deal. Derek Carr does. But you look at a lot of these options. Derek Carr is probably one of the more proven quarterbacks among these options combined with even though he only has one one more year left on his deal, the potential to be there for the long haul. He's not he's not that old. You look at obviously Justin Fields might have the brightest future, but you know, Carr's more proven. You look at Kirk Cousins, maybe he's just as proven as Carr, but the Carr, there's a better chance that Cousins is going to be out in a year or two. So I think there, even though there's only one more year on the deal, I think also you look at some of these openings and the quarterback position, although it might not have the highest ceiling, you kind of know what you're getting. And that's a very stable presence in the form of Derek Carr that you have, you can really work with if he's given the right pieces, right offensive line. And if you can make that defense better, then obviously, then all of a sudden, the Raiders can be a really competitive football team. The tricky thing is, if Denver upgrades at that quarterback position, Vegas could be staring, looking themselves in the mirror as the worst team in that division. Yeah, I I, I think that's right. And obviously, you're not going to have a situation where uh, McDaniels goes back to Denver. But uh, that that uh, funny to think about how he's kind of ending up in in the same division where he was formerly head coach, as you put it before. And speaking of Denver, Dave Ziegler got an interview with the Broncos last year. And he opted to remain in New England for a year. Mm-hmm. Remember, Nick Casario had just been hired by Houston, so he was always under Casario. So he wanted kind of a year in his own in, in that new role in New England. He got that, probably learned a lot in that one year. Now he's ready to run his own football team. I I think they'll have some success, and I'm excited to see. I'm excited to watch. Perhaps the most intrigued to watch how this duo plays out. In Vegas. I think the biggest obstacle might be the division they're in. Because, again, Denver's, I think, going to be very aggressive for potentially Aaron Rodgers or another quarterback, and we'll get to Denver in a bit. But if Denver gets a, a star quarterback, potentially, you're looking at probably the best division in football with the Raiders, who, not a bad team, could be a distant fourth. Well, do you think that kind of lowers the expectations then there's maybe less pressure on you know do you McDonald's. know do you know the davis family fair point point taken <laughs> i don't think mark davis i don't think mark or al davis will ever lower expectations that that's pretty fair i mean they did just fire their Sacha. i mean the most famous line in rare's history is just win baby i don't think that speaks to lowering expectations i i that I was more speaking on uh, outside perception, but I guess it doesn't matter what that is if Mark Davis Mark Davis fires him after two. We years. talk about outside pressure and when the owner has patience. So I feel like if anything, this is kind of flopped. Maybe there's more of an understanding from the fan base or the media, but at the end at the end of the day, they're not calling the shots. Point taken. Point taken, my friend. So let's do it to a team that. It's almost a year. I don't want to say a year. It's a bi-yearly thing at this point where they make changes. And that's the New York football giants. Ben McAdoo lasted just under two years. 
Pat Shermer lasted two years. Joe Judge lasted two years. Dave Gettleman lasted four years. Here we are again. Giants make sweeping changes at key leadership roles. And they go with the Buffalo duo. We talked about the New England duo. Now we talk about the Buffalo duo. Joe Shane from the Buffalo Bills. Brandon Bean's right-hand man in Buffalo. Bills assistant general manager. Taking taking over now as the Giants general manager. He brings along former Bills offensive coordinator Brian Dable. As I think Shane... There for me, Shane was one of the top candidates out there, and among and we don't know how this will play out, but among the hiring among the four new GMs, I think I think the Joe Shane hiring was my favorite. I love what they've done in Buffalo. You look at how they've drafted and developed Josh Allen, how they've accumulated talent. They're not afraid to be aggressive. When Brandon Bean and Joe Shane came in there, they, their cap situation was not pretty putting it nicely, similar to how the Giants cap situation presents itself now. So although Joe Shane, he might not be the best you know, cap guy, he has seen firsthand how a transformation of cap space can take place. And I just think you look at Buffalo's done a very good job drafting. You look at Josh Allen or Deion Dawkins, Tremaine Edmonds, Tredavious White, Tredavious White. And Joe, something that really stuck out was that Joe Shane said, and you know the proof is in the pudding in Buffalo is draft, develop, and sign your own. That's how you have stability, and that's how you build your team for sustained success. You can supplement your team in free agency, but you have to draft well, you have to develop well, and you and then you sign your own. That's the key to sustained success, and that's something that the Giants just never had under Dave Gettleman. I I mean it's a tried and true formula. And I think we were. It, it's it's not a it's not a secret. No, it's not, it's not <laughs> rocket science. It's not rocket science. I think um, Shane is a great hire. I for your for your Giants. How are you feeling about Brian Dable? I'm more critical than him of you are. Yeah, but I, look. What are I, your thoughts as a Giants fan? A lot of Giants fans are so excited for Dable, just because it's, here's a offensive guru. Maybe they can, you know, because the offense has been such a mess for a variety of reasons. Some of it's Daniel Jones. Some of it's the terrible offensive line. Some of it's play calling. Some of it's offensive philosophy and scheme. The offense has stunk for years. And, you know, I think that's a a big reason why is, you know, they're not up with the times. And I think Giants fans are hoping Dable will change that. And that gets me kind of to the point about Matt Eberflus is you don't necessarily want sometimes the offensive guru, you want the best head coach. And we don't, truth is, we don't know about Dable. And, I, you know, what, fool me once, was it fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, fool me three times. Uh, but with the Giants, we're, I think we're past three. Like, there have been so many times where, I, you know, maybe I didn't love a, a move, but I'm optimistic about it. At this point, sure, I have some optimism that Dable might be the right guy. But until I see it, I'm not ready to fully buy in. Again, I I thought I liked what I saw from Judge. That didn't work out. Gentleman said some nice, nice things about upgrading the offensive line. That never happened. At this point, look, I, I think there's some things to like about Dable. He definitely seems a guy who understands what being a head coach is all about and not just offense, 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 offense. But again, the truth is we really don't know 
uh, how good of a head, head coach Dable is because we've seen him be a good offensive coordinator, but there are a lot of good offensive or defensive coordinators out there that, that, that just can't get over that hump and be a successful head coach. I know obviously you're a lot, you're not, I don't want to say a lot lower, but you definitely are more lukewarm about this hire. Yeah, I am. Um, and it's really for a variety of reasons. One, you never want to see an offense have a little bit of have some regression and inconsistency. I feel like he was a better candidate last year. And well, I, how much nev- did he really change? It's uh, and I understand that. And again, we're we're he's not the offensive coordinator. That's Mike Kafka. I'm talking about Brian Dable. Yeah, I know, but I'm saying now with the Giants, he's not the offensive coordinator. That's gonna be Mike right. Kafka. Okay. To, again, to, to the point is, you're talking about even then. It's it's a it's the Buffalo Bills are not a physical team, and if you're the New York Giants, that's what you need, especially on the offensive end as as you try to develop and an that, offensive line. That, that does concern me. The lack of physicality in Buffalo definitely was and, something noteworthy. And I have to bring this up. You're gonna get mad at me. I won't stop harping about it. The man coaches from the booth. It definitely. It, I don't want. I don't think it's as big as you're making it out to be, but it definitely caught my attention too. Uh, you want? We said this. You want a leader of men. At the same time, one you can't thing, lead. I know it's in Buffalo. It's it's probably freezing. I'd like to be sitting up there with my hot cocoa in the booth too, whispering in Josh Allen's ear. But it takes a lot more, you know, gumption. To, 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 to be there on the sideline with your team. And he did do some sideline, too. I don't think it's as big as you're making it out to be, but it is something that, that caught my attention. And obviously, you don't love it, but he's going to be the head coach. It's not way. He's going to be the head coach from the booth. If he's the head that coach... That would be something. If he's the head coach from the booth, then we have prob- Then we have major problems. <laughs> then all the red alert, you know, red you know, <laughs> sounds are going off in my head. The alarms, you know, the... You know, five five a.m. alarms. If he's coaching from the booth, all the five a.m. alarms are going off, as they should be. So I, I'm I'm I'd say I'm more optimistic about the Shane hire because I do like what he's done in Buffalo, uh, and we don't we don't know how he is as a GM, but I think there is a lot to like. So shy, let's move on. Final GM now, Minnesota Vikings hiring, Kwesi Adolfo Mensa. He's, I think, just 40, 41 years old. Another young guy as a GM. And he had a, he was working on Wall Street not too long ago before getting hired with the 49ers. Uh, Andrew Berry brought him to the Cleveland Browns, and now he's the general manager of the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings going with a really... Indir- you know, we talk always about why net searches... Vikings kind of with an out of the box hire, knowing the lack of NFL experience Kwesi Adolfo Mensah has had, but you see teams want to become more analytical. Definitely something that Kwesi Adolfo Mensah has in his toolbox. Again, I, I think, I I honestly don't mind this hire. I think the Browns. It's it's because it's not like he was there when, during their dark days when they were an incompetent organization. He's been there with this build-up, with them becoming a more well-rounded, all-around good football team. Exactly. And I think the thing with Cleveland is they always seem to underperform, but the roster's there. And... Always seem to underperform. They've had a good team for, like, two years. Blah, three. Three, okay. Three years. They've had a good team for three years. 
you know, I, I it's something a little bit unrelated, but it always puzzles me to think why they fired John Dorsey um, when they did, as soon as they did. Well, keep in mind, Quincy Adolfo Mensah, I don't think he, I don't think he was even there. He wasn't there. But I think it's funny because I think a lot of this roster building came from Dorsey, and then it turned out that the Browns were bad. They just weren't playing well. And then they were like, okay, we need a whole clean house. And it just so happened that later the team kind of benefited from what Dorsey did while he was there and then after he was fired. Which is fair. I think, though, since Andrew Berry has taken over, they've continued to build upon what the foundation Dorsey set. And I think Kuesa Adolfo has helped with that. I think so. Also, experience from the Niners as well is is something. But I will say is he's going to need some help probably from the scouting department, Uh, at least early on just because he does have, at least compared to some of these other candidates, not this enhanced scouting background or this NFL background where he's been in the league for two decades and was you know went from an area scout to assistant GM and all and all those jobs in between. So I definitely think he's going to. I don't want to say no one's gonna have to like hold his hand, but I definitely think he might have to rely on some veteran scouts more than a Joe Shane or Dave Ziegler at least in the first year or two, just because. Those guys have, or even a Ryan Poles, because those guys have more experience in an NFL setting and scouting background. But I do think you have to applaud the Vikings for kind of an out-of-the-box hire, uh, a way of thinking that, you know what, we think he can bring an element that maybe we've been lacking. Maybe, you know, we're not using analytics, we're not ma- or to the way we should, we're not maximizing analytics. And this guy can help us do that and give us that competitive advantage that we've been missing. Yeah, I think this is a really fine hire, and I think all these GM hires have been quite solid, to be frank with you. The head coaching ones I'm more critical of, but I think GM ones have really been good, um, and I, I tend to agree that this is a good hire by the Vikings, much better than who they brought on as their head coach. It's obviously not official, because he can't officially become the head coach, but it has been widely, widely reported that there will be not hiring Jim Harbaugh, who sounds like Harbaugh wanted them, they did not want Harbaugh, not Patrick Graham, who I thought was the favorite once it once it was reported Harbaugh's not getting the job, but Kevin O'Connell, the offensive coordinator for the Los Angeles Rams, who's only been the offensive coordinator there for I believe two years. Well, and he knows Sean McVay, right? He does. They worked in Washington. Well, they also worked in Washington <laughs> before the Rams. Although, look, we make fun of it. The, this whole we started really making fun of it when Zach Taylor got hired, and look where the Bengals are they look now. Pretty stupid, I guess. Yeah, look where the Bengals are now. This I'm not a it's a okay hire to me, but I definitely thought there were better candidates out there. I and maybe it's just cuz I'm a Giants fan so I'm a little biased, but I would have loved to have seen. I mean, I'm selfishly I wanted the Giants to keep Patrick Graham, but I would have loved to see Patrick Graham get a head coaching job. I think he you know, he's a guy that he potentially could be a better head coach than a defensive coordinator because yes, he's good he's good with scheme. But he's even better at maximizing talents, building relationships, holding people accountable. He has all the qualities in my mind you want in a head coach. Having an experienced guy like Harbaugh, who look what he did with the 49ers, leading them to three straight NFC Championship games. Even a, I know he, he pulled out, but I would have I was hiring a guy like D'Amico Ryan's, the 49ers defensive coordinator, who's done a really sound job there. So it's not that I don't hate the I don't hate this hire. It's not that I'm down on O'Connell, 
But for a young guy, I would have liked to see him get a few more years of experience. And I think some of the other guys the Vikings hired, I would have probably slightly preferred them. You know, even going back to the Rams, Raheem Morris, who he's been a head coach, didn't work out. I think he's more ready now. You look at, I know the Rams have a lot of talent on defense, but I think he just seems like, you know, a good leader who can get the most out of his guys, who can build those relationships and hold people accountable. Again, nothing, it's not that I don't like O'Connell. It's more of I preferred some of these other candidates to O'Connell. Maybe we'll be proven wrong, but I, I know you're probably a little lower on this than I am. Look, if you want an offensive-minded guy, you have Byron Leftwich, you have Eric Bieniemy, you have, you know, even Kellen Moore, I might prefer. Mike McDaniel. I think Mike McDaniel, I'm both candidates uh, from in Miami. Miami. I, you know, I think... You know, even then, I think D'Amico Ryans and Raheem Morris also great, great candidates. You know, even if they're not offensive minded. I know D'Amico Ryans. He's a guy I was really high on, and I think he'll get a job in the next year or two. He did pull his name out of the running, so I do want to mention that. That's not, fair. He did take his name out of the running. All I'm saying is, if you want to hire someone, an offensive coordinator like this, it really just feels like, yeah, that offense has been fu- solid this year. And, you know, they've kind of been ride or die with Matthew Stafford, it feels uh, like. Also, it seems like the teams that really grasp for these, you know, young and up-and-coming offensive corners typically want to compensate for a bad offense. We can criticize Kirk Cousins. That hasn't been a bad offense. No, it, 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 certain, it certainly hasn't been a bad offense. Um, and I think the only reason I'm not as down on this as I was earlier is because I forgot about Zach Taylor. And I guess if it works for you, I mean, why not? But, I mean, I think we just need a lot of other candidates who have more experience, who have shown more at being offensive-minded guys than Kevin O'Connell has at this point in his career. So hopefully it works out for the Vikings, but I would not be surprised if he's gone in just a couple of years. Definitely. Again, I I think O'Connell can be a solid hire. Definitely guys I probably would have preferred to him. Although you look at Matt LaFleur... Zach Taylor, obviously Sean McVay's done a great job. So these guys from Chuck McVay or even Sean McVay himself done a pretty solid job. Point taken. Now we'll go to the Denver Broncos. Broncos not needing a GM. They hired George Payton last year. George Payton uh, decided to roll with Vic Fangio for a year. Now he has to pick his own head coach. Goes with the offensive side of the ball. Going Nathaniel Hackett, Packers offensive corner. Any sense maybe he wanted to tag team with Hackett and Rodgers? I don't think that's why, obviously, you hire Nathaniel Hackett. You hire Nathaniel Hackett because he was the best candidate out there. But I do think maybe there was a little hope that eh, if we hire Nathaniel Hackett, maybe that makes our team a little more appealing so Aaron Rodgers can force a trade here. I think Hackett's a better candidate than McConnell because he has more experience. O'Connell. O'Connell. What did I say? McConnell. He's a better experience than Kevin O'Connell because he has more experience. He's he's worked under Matt Lafleur, and he's been he's, yes he's been around longer. He's worked with a guy like Aaron Rodgers. We talked about Luke Getze. I think this makes more sense to me, but I think there's still we named some other candidates who I think I would still prefer. I think you know you named Patrick Graham. You name some of these defensive minds. I almost was surprised Brian Flores didn't get a look 
uh, from the Broncos. It's, I guess he did. Well, now, after everything that comes well, out no, that, about that him. Was two, well, that was two years, or three right. years ago. Since, that was in 2019. So, I mean, it's kind of a, it's like, okay. Like, I, I don't feel strongly one way or another. It seems like it's, it's a fine hire. At the same time, like, it's really nothing I feel like to get excited about. Yeah, um, I I think I think it, it it's really easy to wonder whether it was related to Aaron Rodgers. You'd like to assume it wasn't. I think there are better candidates out there, but I do think it's a it's a, it's a much solid hire and a much more justifiable hire because of because he has been you know more experience, more of a veteran guy than a guy like Kevin O'Connell. So I, I guess we both kind of feel. It's a, you're probably, maybe you're a little lower than I am, but we both kind of feel there were better candidates out there. I really thought it was going to be Dan Quinn. I think I would have probably preferred Dan Quinn to Nathaniel Hackett. I would have agreed. So just, I, I kind of feel lukewarm. I don't feel, about this high. I don't feel strongly one way or another. It just kind of, I kind of just, you know, shrug my shoulders and say, meh, it's fine. We'll see how it plays out. Obviously their goal though is to, their big fish goal is to uh, reel in Aaron Rodgers from the Green Bay Packers. So, this was reported just last night, became official just last night. The Jacksonville Jaguars are hiring Doug Peterson, the Super Bowl champion, former Eagles head coach Doug Peterson. I think I'm higher on this one than you are. I really like this hire, if I'm if I'm the Jacksonville Jaguars, or I'm a Jaguars fan. Maybe Byron Leftwich was your first choice. And we can kind of go back and forth on, you know, Trent Baalke in that situation. But I really think that Doug Peterson coming in, being a head coach, had, you know, brought stability. I mean, he won a Super Bowl. And, yeah, we can talk about what he did for Carson Wentz and how much of an offensive guru he was. But it really feels like that he was much more than an offensive guru. And it just seemed like that team, you know, up until the very, up until maybe that last game where he – bench Jalen Hurts for Nate Sudfeld it really felt like he did have a good pulse on that locker room they did it players did enjoy playing for him I know you're giving me a look you're giving me a look right now I thought they did up until the kind of debacle at the end where he definitely I think he lost it at the end and what about the entire season when there are these ramblings about him and Carson Wentz and all this stuff and how they preferred Hurts to Wentz, and Peterson was I st- I this st- and that. And I think at by the end of that year, it was probably time for a change, just in terms of sometimes I know a relationship grows old, and sometimes it's just the end of a tenure, and you need a change of scenery. But I think getting Peterson coming to a fresh locker room, can start over, work with a young quarterback in Trevor Lawrence, and I, I do think he can bring stability to an organization that desperately needs it. I really do like this hire. He brings a, I think he brings a veteran presence that the Jaguars desperately are or were looking for. And, and until, I guess until Peterson proves himself, potentially still are. I just think Peterson, you know, maybe he's not the flashiest name out there. And his last few games in Philly didn't probably end the way he wanted to or anyone else wanted to. But what he did in Philly was, I mean, he brought them their first and only Super Bowl. And I think it really seemed, you know, channeling the whole dog mentality, it really seemed like they did gravitate towards him. And then maybe the end kind of went south. But I think that change of scenery will really help Peterson where he can kind of reboot. And also getting that year off, 
I think is really helping him kind of recharge, see the game from a new angle, debrief what went right, what went wrong, and that's going to help him become an even better coach potentially with the Jaguars. I don't mind this hire at all. I would have liked to see another guy here, um, as someone who has... When you when you dealt with Urban Meyer, someone who had no control of his locker room, so you don't th- want to have a hint of doubt. I think there's going to be... Like, I, I mean, obviously, it doesn't take much to upgrade from what Urban Meyer did, but I think this is going to be a massive upgrade just in terms I of agree. a culture... Just in terms of a culture change. But I, I'm just a little bit hesitant from a guy who's only had really a, a year hiatus, and his last experience was when not... He wasn't fired because of, you know, him not doing a bad job... He was fired for something I would argue maybe is even a little bit more concerning. You have culture issues in that locker room. It's not like he had culture issues his entire time. That's not like right No, and that's why I don't mind it. That's why I don't mind it. And I think I think a change of scenery and his ability to take that year off and debrief is really gonna benefit him and the Jaguars in the long run. I think it certainly could. I don't mind the hire at all. Here's something that I'm just gonna talk about this for a second. Let's talk about Brian Flores for just a minute. I think he has a point. That's something that I've been saying or something that I've been noticing. I think everyone has been, frankly. You know, I, I did some some research on it in, in a class once, a persuasive speech. Uh, but there aren't enough minority coaches being hired. And right now there are three in the NFL. There's th- Ron Rivera. Robert Sala and Mike Tomlin, and one of whom is black. Seventy yeah, percent. Only one of them is black, and they're three three minority. So my, Brian Ford is absolutely right. There are candidates we've mentioned a, many in this podcast that should have gotten more opportunities that I felt didn't this year. Yeah, and I think D'Amico Ryan's, Raheem Morris, Patrick Graham, Bianami, Leftwich, Left right, Leftwich. The list goes. The list goes. Now right. we know Leftwich did get some consideration from Jacksonville, but that's only one. That's only one job. So I think that's something that is resonating with me, and that's probably why I'm more sour on a lot of these hires than maybe you are, other people are, because I'm a little bit frustrated. And I definitely think there's frustration. As I said, there, I think definitely some of these candidates, like I just mentioned, are more deserving than others. Uh, I don't know if Doug Peterson's the right name to go after, I'm not going after Doug Peterson because of that. Like I think there are other candidates but, where you could say a minority candidate deserved him more, deserved that job more than deserved more. I just, I'm a big fan of the Peterson hire because I think there's. Gonna I'm be, not I trying think, to single out Doug Peterson and the Jaguars organization here. I understand that Leftwich walked out of that situation. So. I think obviously you're more wait and see with Peterson. You are, the way it ended undeniably did not end well. Kind of quick thoughts: Dolphins, Saints, Texans. Anything you want to add there? Um, I think the the Dolphins. I think have are considering two really good offensive minded guys and more McDaniel. I like both of them. I think both of them could be very solid hires see, for them. That's where I go. I rather. I would rather have Leftwich or Bianney than either one of those. Okay. But I think those are good. Those are solid names, better so names you, than a guy like just, McCon- the, than, than uh, O'Connell or Hackett. I like those guys better than those two. Uh, Kellen Moore or Doug Peterson? Peterson. Okay. I agree with you there. Just wanted to see. Quickly, 10 seconds, Tom Brady, greatest of all time, hanging up his cleats. It's going to be weird next year. So no strange. Tom Brady. So strange. I mean, 
we both pay our respects to the greatest football player, I think, in all in all time. No debate. NFC will be weird, especially if Aaron Rodgers leaves it too. That's all the time we have on this edition of NFL Game Time Podcast. We'll see you next week.